Oh, hey there. Welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable is OK podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond, and this is the community dedicated with becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uncomfortable is OK exists to explore the science, the stories and the strategies of getting out of our comfort zones so we can find where the magic happens for us. Today, I'm chatting with Leslie Harrington. Uh, You'll pretty quickly notice that Leslie doesn't have a typical Kiwi accent, uh, and we'll discuss why at the start of the show. Leslie was introduced to me by Eric Hodgson, who you guys will remember from episode 74 of the podcast, where we had a pretty deep conversation about recovery from trauma. And Leslie herself is no stranger to trauma. She lost a half-brother to suicide, her high school sweetheart in a car accident, uh, and her parents to disease, uh, as well as working through her own health issues. It's been a tough road at times, uh, but Leslie's worked through the uncomfortable. Uh, and those that have been listening for a while, now you'll know that that's something that never really ends. We're always going to come up and with new uncomfortable challenges that, that pop up along the way for us. Leslie shares with me what she's done to work through those uncomfortable situations, how it's made her reevaluate her life and values, um, and the new incredibly exciting direction that it's pointed her in uh, that I'm really excited to kind of see where, where that takes her. Uh, and you guys, will you'll hear from Leslie's voice today just uh, the amount of excitement that she has in, in this direction. And I took a lot away from this conversation with Leslie mostly due to how open and honest she was about her experiences. So uh, you guys are in for, a, in for a treat listening to her. Before we kick off the episode, uh, we've got a bit of show support again today, as well as an opportunity for you guys. Uh, my mate Will Fleming, um, who some of you guys will remember f- uh, as a guest on episode 70 of the podcast, has just released an awesome course all about how to make simple but professional videos. So if you're wanting to up your video game on social media, um, this is this is the course for you. Um, and it's, it's one that I've run through as well. Um, I'm looking to start doing a few more short videos uh, and getting them out to you guys on, on the internet. Um, so it's been it's been great to great to work through and I can vouch for it. So Will and Sean uh, step you through creating a story, setting everything up, filming, editing and publishing. Um, and as I said, I've been working on my first video and hopefully you guys will get to see it soon. But at the moment, Will and Sean are offering a hundred bucks off the course to listeners of the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Um, and if you guys go and buy the buy the course, uh, they're also kicking us a little bit of commission on it too. So you'll be supporting the Uncomfortable Is Okay community, as well as getting a really awesome uh, video course that's going to help build your skill set. So to claim this offer, just head over to howtomakesimplevideos.com and enter the dis- discount code UNCOMFORTABLE. That's howtomakesimplevideos.com and enter the code uncomfortable. If you're struggling a bit with my accent, 
I will also put the link in the notes for the show as well. So you can (laughs) just click through and read it there. Um, But if you guys aren't into making videos, there are a couple of other ways you can support the show. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app so you get a new episode every Tuesday. Um, If you've listened to a couple of shows, then leave us a review. They're always great. Um, It helps to get the show into more ears and into more minds. Share the episode out on social media or with your mates. Um, or we've got a Patreon account, www.patreon.com slash uncomfortable is okay. If you want to donate a couple of bucks to uh, to help out with hosting, etc. But that's enough preamble. Thank you guys so much for getting uncomfortable with Leslie and I today. Harrington, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. Oh, it's a, it's my pleasure, and I was um, very excited when Eric uh, introduced us. Now, the most of my listeners, um, well, the majority of my listeners are from New Zealand, and they've probably picked up that. Um, Hey, your accent isn't your your typical Kiwi accent. Um, could you could you let uh, us know kind of where you're where you're from, where you grew up, and where you're living at the moment? I'm actually in South Florida. I'm over in Fort Lauderdale. I grew up. I was born and raised in Miami and kind of the suburbs of Fort Lauderdale. And I've never I've only lived outside of Florida for kindergarten through third grade. So I've been here my whole life. And it's ironic you say that because my parents were both New Englanders. Um, so my dad was Boston. My mom was New, um, New Hampshire. So they, my dad had a twinge of an accent, but I never knew I had one. <laughs> uh, so I think you only have an accent when you compare it to other people. Like in, in New Zealand, I sound normal. Um, but if your friends in the States uh, are listening, they'll probably just be saying, oh, what is that guy talking about? All his vowels sound the same. It's a, it's a problem we have in New Zealand. Uh, I think we only have one vowel. Um, <laughs> Leslie, in terms of, um, in terms of uh, kind of formative experiences that, that shaped you as a person that you had when you were growing up, um, did you, did you have some of them that you, that you remember that you think, oh, actually that, that really has kind of shaped me as a, as a person? You know, it's funny because um, there's things now I'm working through a lot of, of kind of connecting some of those things since since some of my recent losses. But I, I go back, I think the first time that I recognized that I had um, a pretty impactful experience would be I have a um, brother who committed suicide. And I was 16, 17 at the time, and he was 26. So he was a brother, half brother. So my, my father was married before and it was, um, four brothers that I had on that side. And I remember in high school being really, really kind of obsessed with learning about 
drugs and depression and pharmaceuticals because they told us that he he committed suicide because he wasn't taking his medication. And that was really impactful for me. And that actually kind of drove me to go on into college and study psychology and really try to understand a little bit more about just human nature and how something so powerful as medication could cause someone to make that, that profound of a decision. And then, um, within a year from that, my first love in high school was killed in a car accident. So I, I went from, from kind of experiencing the loss of, of a family member and going through kind of processing that emotionally. And then that type of loss when someone takes their own life, um, it, there's a little bit of a, a different dynamic there. I can now look back and say, and then losing, you know, this is like the guy who looking back, you know, 27 years ago now, but that's like all I knew for love at that time. So it was very, very challenging to go, through losing that boyfriend because that was a really critical time for me. And the story that I told myself during that time has impacted me for, you know, years to come. Mm. So those, those two events early on were pretty powerful for me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mind sharing what that story was that you told yourself then? You know, it's funny because I actually very distinctly remember saying in my mind that I had been in love and I knew what it was and I was very blessed and that was it. And I think I had in my mind that that was my experience with love and it was okay that I had a good one and and, and it would be okay if I didn't do it again. <laughs> and I just have always struggled with, I've never, I, I'd rather be alone than be in a, a weird relationship. I never had any like abusive or kind of, you know, chaotic of relationships, but I always kind of set my standards low. And I, I kind of dated people that I knew if something happened, I would be okay. Um, I didn't get super intensely close. I kind of, I, I always kind of did things out of fear and I, I did things more guarded, you know, and it, it took me a really long time. I kind of built this jail around myself and, um, just created a protective shell that I never had to have that kind of pain again, because I would never allow myself to feel when, you know, when you're in high school and you have that first love experience, it's, it's so raw and it's so pure and you haven't been damaged yet. You know, you haven't had other experiences where, you know, you, you're a little more gun shy and you're a little bit like, it's really a, a pure, um, just non-fearful type of love. And it's, it's that type of thing that I just never wanted to have that pure of a pain associated with it either. So I think I told myself if I didn't allow that powerful of a love to kind of explode from me that I would never have to go through that pain again. Mm, mm. And I think it, probably everyone listening knows what you're, uh, what you're talking about there in terms of the, in terms of that emotion about your, your first love. Um, it's something that kind of everyone ha experiences. And I think you described it really, really well in terms of that kind of that, that raw, powerful, powerful love that, that you have. Um, building, building that shell and building that protective kind of jail around you. I'm, I'm assuming that wasn't something that was like a really conscious decision at the time. Um, but you would have had to, you would have had to kind of make decisions around, uh, what you, what you did. And I think, I mean, you, you've told us about, um, told us about kind of dating people that were, were safe, um, and that you, you felt you'd be okay with, uh, if they weren't 
if they weren't in your life any longer, were there other decisions that you made at that time to kind of help put yourself in that um, in that protective shell? Yeah, it's funny because I didn't know it at the time. Like you said, um, it was very subconscious. I I had experienced um, after you know being that young and being uh, you know I was turning eighteen, so I had just finished high school. He was in his senior year, and my parents were really worried and. My dad had already obviously lost one child, so they worried about me. They feared for that suicide aspect, which I was very anti-suicide, so it wasn't the problem there. But I was also very emotional. And that crying was very scary for the people around me. And I learned very quickly that if if I was expressing so much emotion, they were they were scared that I was going to hurt myself or that I wasn't okay. So I I learned that I needed to suppress some of my, my, my feelings and my tears. And I got very, um, kind of just sheltered. I, I didn't cry very much. I remember going through college and going like years at a time without shedding a tear. Uh, and then it's funny cause recently, like a couple of years ago, somebody, I was talking about how, you know, I went into this industry when I, most of my career has been in pharmaceutical distribution and it's a very male, di- uh, male driven industry. It's not, you know, what you picture with the doctor's offices. I'm dealing with corporate pharmacy buyers throughout the country. And it was mostly men. And my whole team that I worked with was men. So I didn't have to show emotion. I was actually had to kind of be more tough than I probably wanted to be all the time. And I was in um, a very career oriented lifestyle. I was like that, you know, road warrior and traveled. And I did all these things that I was just this resilient career woman. And it kept me in that safe place. I didn't have to worry about, you know, breaking down and crying at work. I didn't have to worry about, you know, being really super emotional because I didn't really have time to date because I was a travel girl. You know, it was, it was very easy for me to kind of live that way. When did you kind of, when did you realize that you had built that, that jail for yourself? Um, And how did you go about kind of breaking out of it? You know, I think for so many years, I lived very comfortable in that place. It was, um, it was kind of just what I, I, I learned for myself. I I was making my dad proud. My dad was an educator. He was a a professor at the university and I grew up with very, you know, hardcore education being the most important thing was driven in me. So it was a blessing looking back because I am so into research and studying but then I had this nurturing, loving, amazing mom who had so much emotion. Um, I I started probably about nine years ago. I had a health issue of my own. Um, I was out on a trip with some friends, and I had somebody put a drug in my drink at a bar. And I found out later that it had done some damage to my autonomic nervous system, which controls kind of your everyday functions, your, your homeostatic functions. So your balance, your, your heart rate, your body temperature, you know, your pupil dilation, kind of the things that your body's supposed to do on its own. And my body just kind of stopped doing it on its own. I had to go through a pretty lifestyle, pretty big lifestyle transition. And my mom was through it with me. I made a ton of dietary and exercise changes. I was in my thirties working at pharmaceutical job and I was taking like five pharmaceutical drugs in my thirties that, you know, they're telling me I have to be on heart meds the rest of my life. And all of a sudden, like, you know, that was kind of my first big bout with discomfort. And then my mom 
got diagnosed with cancer around, you know, after I, I had already, um, been diagnosed myself. So not with cancer, but with the, the condition that I had. So when my mom got diagnosed with cancer, that was just, um, that was just completely life changing. You know, the experience of going through, you know, watching her, uh, just deteriorate and then not long after pass away. Um, that was kind of when I started to recognize so many things in my life that weren't, um, really my truth anymore. Thank you for, uh, thanks for sharing that, Leslie. That's a, um, it's a, it's a really powerful story. And I think it's a, um, obviously it's a kind of, a, it's a really hard way to, um, to start to kind of recognize that, that stuff in your, in yourself. Um, losing, losing your mother who sounded like an amazingly loving woman. Um, from, from that point, Obviously, you you kind of you become aware that things aren't quite right with this. I'd, I've been living in, I've kind of been drifting along in life, almost um, wrapped up in in kind of uh, things that other people think are important for me. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah, and I think um, I. I think going through my health issues and going watching the experience that my mom had, I started to get, I started to look a little bit more outside of myself and see what was happening, um, in society with, with just, you know, I'm here, you know, trying, I'm selling medications and I'm watching them basically take the life of my mom and start to really be destructive in my own. Um, my dad at this point was on 17 medications when, when my mom passed, my sister and I became his caretaker. And we started to see some of like the reality of, of just the healthcare and, and, you know, how important it was to take care of yourself and the nutrition aspects. And, um, you know, I started studying some of that stuff separately on the side, but when my mom passed, it was all of a sudden, it was like all of this corporate career and all of the ways that I just defined myself and had kind of lived in this place we're just not the same anymore. Nothing was resonating with me. And I recognized it in myself because I had seen it back when I lost, uh, you know, my brother and my boyfriend, I, I went to my, th- I went to a therapist. I found a new one and I said that this is going to make me or it's going to break me. I said, I, if I don't work through this now, I will do everything the rest of my life in fear. And I'm like, I have a choice. I said, I, I can learn to do things out of love or I can do things out of fear. And I opted for love <laughs> and that's what I'm trying to do every day. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad that you opted for love. I, uh, I, obviously if you, if you'd opted for fear, we probably wouldn't be uh, having this conversation today. Um, yeah. And, and I think with, with, with your story as well, Leslie, I mean, it's talking with people on the podcast, it, it's not an unusual one that there is people kind of, do travel along on a on a life trajectory, kind of really sort of almost working within the the systems of the way that we live our lives in in the Western world at the moment is get up and go to the go to the nine to five job and um, live a kind of semi slash pseudo healthy life as well because that's what we're 
that's what we're told is the is the right way to do things. Um, and sometimes it, it takes a, it takes a bit of trauma to actually stop and kind of reevaluate and really start to look deep inside at what what our people's values are and how we can kind of better better go about um, living by them. And I'm I'm sorry that you had to go through those those traumatic experiences um, to to have that, but it sounds like it's really kind of shifted shifted the way that you're the way that you're living your life, and um, also the the people that you're helping as well. So yeah, life changing, definitely. Mm. So you you made the comment before that you've, you're trying to choose to live with love not not fear how does that look like for you like what what decisions do you need to make around that and what practices do you need to put in place to do that there there were several things that happened i think in my own health um i basically made some decisions um when i saw my mom suffering and going through chemotherapy and and her surgeries and treatments and stuff like that. It, it made my situation appear in my mind to be so insignificant. Um, I felt like all of a sudden I'm, I'm like, my mom doesn't have control over her outcome and I do. How can I make myself better? So I, I went on kind of a crusade for my own health and I just disowned my diagnosis. I was done. I'm like, I, I, I just stopped referring to it. I stopped talking about it. I changed my entire lifestyle. Um, my body started to heal. I started to do some really tremendous um, turnaround in, in what is still considered to be a really confusing syndrome. They call it, it's, it's called POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And um, I, I, my mom always used to tell me, I, I loved, loved research and nutrition and, and health. And she's like, you should be in the medical field. And, you know, at the end of, of my mom's service, the, the guy who got up there and spoke um, was a fr- family friend. And he, he described all kinds of things that my mom did in different people's lives. And he said at the end, if everyone would learn to love like Loris, the world would be better. And my mom's name was Loris. And there were, I mean, standing room, only hundreds of people at her service that I didn't even know. And people would get up and tell these stories that of these special things that my mom used to do for them. Like if they were having a bad day, her hairdresser, like she would come back and brought her a bracelet, you know, to cheer her up and friends of mine who would have conversations with my mom that I wasn't even aware of. And, um, it just, it made me realize like that day I'm like, I my to, to honor my mom and to live more like she did in pure love and just do things, uh, make it about other people and, and not so much about your own little world that we live in. It just took me, it, I stepped out of that life that I wasn't living and, and, realized that I needed to live my life differently. And I went back to school. I started studying nutrition and um, health and I, I got my health coaching um, certification and I, I quit my 15 year pharmaceutical job. And um, I decided I'm going to build this foundation in my mom's name without really um, a specific goal in the end it was just one of these things that was like it came to me and I'm like I've never been so sure of something in my life but I just you know had to kind of start from scratch and and just keep keep a lot of faith and taking one foot in front of the other so that's where I'm I'm at now that is that is very cool 
I mean, that is a, it's, it's a big transition though as well. And even though you say that, hey, this is something that I've never been more sure of in my life, I'm assuming it was still pretty hard to start to take those, those first steps to, to get rid of that job that you'd had for 15 years and, and go down a different path. I'm not going to lie. I, there was a lot of fear there. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's funny. it was kind of a, a, a lot of things happened in my life that were somewhat of omens and, and things that the universe were like conspiring because things started to just uh, um, present themselves to me. And, and the, the opportunity to leave the job was a good one. It was kind of the right timing. Um, the fact that I have that network of people in the industry of pharmaceutical has kind of like tied in my passion for bringing healthcare into pharmacy and using, you know, some of those connections with people to kind of help deliver the message of health and wellness and nutrition, um, beyond medication, complementary to medication, you know, nutrient deficiencies associated with medication. So I've been able to have a lot of really productive, um, conversations and even some business business opportunities with some of these people that I had been involved with in that industry for a long time. And, um, working with, you know, working with my father, you know, after my mom passed, my, my father became my sister and I, uh, took care of him for the last almost five years. And, um, you know, going through the experience with him, you know, Mr. Corporate and Mr. Education, you know, that <laughs> making that leap, knowing that it was like the, my dad, it wasn't something that he would ever agree to or approve of, um, was an extreme challenge. It was, it was very scary, very uncomfortable. Did you talk to your father about the changes that you were making? I did. And, and this is kind of where there's a little bit of humor in it because he, my dad was, um, after my mom, my dad was also very, very uh, sick from diabetes complications and some heart disease. So when my sister and I were taking care of him, we were learning more and more about um, what was going on, you know, with his health. And he was losing a lot of his uh, mental capacity. So it was funny because I told him, and he was deer in the headlights. Like I think he thought I was kidding. Um, and he would, I would tell him the story, you know, and he, how's work and because it was my sister was, how's your family? And me, it was always how's work. <laughs> and, um, I would explain to him, you know, the excitement and how, you know, dad, I'm going to help people with diabetes and I'm, I'm health coaching and I'm gonna, you know, and he, he'd look at me like I had three heads and he was like, Oh, I, I really, I really hope it's, it's going to be, you can do that. Are you sure you can do that? You know, he kind of was like really put off by it. And, um, it took telling him probably for about six months before it really sunk in. And then I think at that point, he came to one of my presentations and it was really neat because he, he was like, wow, <laughs> like he just didn't really know what I was doing anymore. And it was really cool to have him there and, and um, watch me present about health. And he was a, a big part of my story when I told it, you know, in that particular presentation. So it was neat to finally in the end get his support. That's, that's awesome. Um, how, I mean, how did that affect, uh, obviously whenever we step into something new, there is a, there's an element of self doubt that, that goes along with it. Um, and it kind of almost verbalized by your dad is, are you sure you can do that? How do you, how do you know that you can do that? Like how, how did that affect you? And how did you, did, were you able to talk back to that, those questions? You know, I, I talked back very, very confidently with him 
mm-hmm. but inside I, um, it was a lot of, of self-talk. Um, I, I went from being very, very sure of myself and very confident in my career and doing the same thing that I knew well and I did well and I was successful in my mind. I had defined that and to go into like all of a sudden I'm teaching Pilates, um, health coaching, um, kind of just doing these random speaking events and picking up clients. And, um, I'm doing these things that are all very unfamiliar to me that my confidence wasn't a hundred percent there because I haven't been doing it that long. And I didn't, you know, I have what they call in our industry and I'm, I'm sure kind of in general, that imposter syndrome, you know, like, who are you to do this? And, and I, I went a lot through that and I really had to process and, and use a lot of, um, a lot of mantras. And, and the, the bottom line at the end of the day was I felt my responsibility to, to get the word out about diabetes, to get the word out about, you know, some of the healthcare things that are just so messed up in the American system was so much more important than my fears. And it was so much bigger than me that anytime I tried to back out of my own way, I, I just, I, I wouldn't let myself because I felt guilty at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about, um, a couple of different, um, strategies that people use that have, that have come up throughout the podcast is that, is that larger purpose one is, and that, that is great for kind of can, keeping you continuing on despite the imposter syndrome. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's something that is, that is rife whenever we start anything new. I know I've, uh, I have it sporadically as well as um, whenever I'm kind of taking taking on something new um, and you just think do I belong here but like a, a big thing that I've that I've found out is that most other people also feel that way that they also yeah. feel hey I'm I'm an imposter here I'm I'm just kind of faking faking this Um but no one really talks about it <laughs> with each other. So we're all kind of feeling like imposters uh, <laughs> separately. Um, we could band together and just become a whole band of imposters. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you're using, you're using the bigger purpose to help yourself keep going. Um, but you also mentioned um, using, using mantra as well, which is another, another one, um, that a lot of my guests have, have mentioned that they use, which often seems to work really well in kind of that, almost that acute discomfort setting where I need to go and do something or I need to get up and kind of face something that is going to be quite uncomfortable today. And I'll use this in the moment to to kind of get myself going and get myself rolling. Is that the way that you used yours or did you use it in kind of a slightly different setting? You know, I used it almost probably in excess in my past as far as I became almost resilient. I think resilience, it cannot stand alone without having an emotional context to it. And I think for so long, I considered resilience compartmental and I was very compartmental. So I could fake it till you make it like the best of the best. When my mom was sick, the, I mean, I went to work like I, when I was done, like I went right back to work because I just needed distraction and it, I didn't have time to break down. I didn't have time to fall apart. And so 
fake it till you make it got me through those types of situations was wasn't in my mind necessarily healthy looking back. In in this type of situation where I'm in this discomfort of of just evolving into this new thing that's being created as we speak. It's like something that went is going from nothing into something. I think there's more um definitely mantras, but they're a little bit more almost positive and almost more reassuring. So instead of instead of compartmentalizing or faking or pretending that some of my obstacles and my fears aren't there, it's more like acknowledging that I'm where I'm supposed to be. I don't have to be any further than I anticipate. Like I have to put limitations on my own expectations of myself and these perfection and, you know, that type of thing. And then understanding that so much of the, you know, your message, your message, right. So much of the experiences that I've had have created these things. So I look back and it's really weird to say that I'm so grateful for who I am now. And I can't be grateful unless I look back and, and be able to say that those things, you know, had to happen for me to be here. Um, so those types of things are a little more positive in terms of my healing process than some of the old ways and tactics that I used to use to propel myself forward in a more corporate setting and a more resilient setting, you know, where I was just trying to be tough. Yeah. Very cool. I, I really hear where you're coming from with that. That's, that's awesome. And I think like, I mean, it's, uh, it's very much kind of an evolutionary journey that we that we go on with it as well, and the the person that you are today is is different, um, same but different to the person that you were five years ago, and the the person that you're going to be probably even in a year's time is going to be different to to the person that you are today because we're kind of continually getting shaped by our um, by our experiences and how we're how we're perceiving them. Um, and kind of the the emotions and the and the thought processes that they are developing within us. Um, yeah, it's crazy how uh, I spent fifteen years in that safe place, and and all of a sudden I feel like, you know, if you told asked me ten exciting things about myself, you know, two years ago I would have had gotten to number two and been stuck, you know, and now I'm like in the last two years <laughs> the amount of exciting and different and challenging things that I've done that have made me so uncomfortable have, have made me so much more exciting even to myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm assuming that you'd be able to fill up pages on end now, writing down exciting things about yourself too. Definitely more than I would have before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I really like, I mean, how you, how you kind of tied the, the discomfort back into that. Like, I mean, they, these things are exciting, but so often uh, they're hard to do because they are uncomfortable situations for ourselves and they're, and they're challenging. I would be remiss, I think, if I didn't ask you if you were happy to share one of your favorite positive mantras now. Yes, you know, I had... Um I had a trainer when I first got sick, I, I thought I was out of shape. One of my doctors told me that that's why my heart was racing so bad. So I, I, I signed up for this gym and I went to this trainer who was like, you know, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do with you? And, um, he used to tell me when I, I'd be like, I'm going to die. He'd be like, don't think about it. Just do it. And it was like the best piece of advice I've ever, I still, to this day, whenever I'm re reluctant, or resisting something, I'm like, stop thinking about it. Just proceed with action, you know? So 
I, I say that to myself constantly. Don't think about it. Just do it. Because when we think about it, it gives us a chance to kind of change our mind to, to resist, to, you know, go have something to eat, go, you know, do something else that you do to relieve stress and things like that. And so for me, don't think about it, just do it. It puts me immediately into action and it shuts down my mental processes that get in the way. So to me, that's very positive. I don't know if that sounds very positive. <laughs> mm, no, 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 it is. Um, I'm just thinking on that one. Um, when you kind of go and, and do it, has that kind of ed you, uh, ever led you down kind of uh, the wrong is a, uh, isn't the word that I want. Has it ever led you down kind of a path that you didn't want to go down and you've had to stop and come back out of it? I've never had it. I use it a lot in, in physical exercise. I use that when I'm starting to you know, get tired or fatigued or something like that. When I use it in my everyday, um, it puts me into action but it's not necessarily careless action. Um, it's still, it, it, it gets me to kind of like throw down my list and start taking steps that are meaningful. So I haven't had it um, be reckless yet. You know, I, and I won't say yet because I, I don't even want to give it that. <laughs> but um, it, it has, no, I, I have not had that problem so far. <laughs> Cool, cool. So you're when when you're doing this, it's um, it's off a reasonably considered list of things that you need to go and step in to do uh, that are yeah. uncomfortable. Oh, um, like, you know, don't think about it. Just do it. If it means like you know finishing the few reps, or you know, it, it hasn't gotten to a point where I'm ever like, okay, go get hurt or anything. But um, yeah. it, it it just it completely takes my mind out of it and all of the things that usually I allow to talk myself out or, and when the fears start to creep up, it just kind of shuts it down. And then, you know, it, it doesn't give me a chance to even second guess. It's just kind of like, just do it. it. And it puts me immediately into a forward moving place. So, you know, I'm just, whether the action is something that's really powerful and, and, and really is effective. And I feel like I'm like completely productive or if it's just something that just stopped that thought process for me, either way, it takes me in the better direction. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I understand that. And do you find that you, you're at a point now where you just kind of say to say it to yourself once and then you can, you can get into action or you have to repeat it a couple of times. That one, that one for me has been it, usually once I get to it, sometimes it's not the first one I think of because I probably am, am trying to avoid getting to it because I know <laughs> that's going to be my final straw. Um, but no, that one usually, usually kind of gets me in my mind that shuts it all down. Like that's it. Like yeah, I'm like over myself by the time I say that. Yeah. Leslie, I, I want to have a little bit of a chat with you about the foundation that you're, that you're setting up. Um, so I think it's called Love Like Loris. Yes. Love yep. Like Loris. Where, where is it at at the moment and kind of where um, you, you said it, it, it's just been kind of an idea that has been taking, taking shape as you've been taking action with it. So what's, what's happening with it at the moment and what are you, where's, where's the next steps for you? I think the idea behind it started when that, that gentleman had said, you know, if everyone would just love like Boris, that kind of plants the seed in my mind of, you know, what, what was my mom's favorite thing to do? And hers was volunteering at the school or giving of herself and of her time. And she was super generous with parts of her. And she was the kind of person that took action on good intentions. 
So, you know, you like think, Oh my gosh, I should go do this for someone. And then you get busy and you forget, like my mom just did them. Like she'd show up at my door. If we hung up the phone and, and I didn't sound happy, she'd be like, you sound like you needed a hug. And she'd show up and give me one. And she was always right. You know, whenever I needed it. And, um, when, when she first passed and I first left the, um, pharmaceutical job, I was working in nutrition coaching and I had some practitioner only, um, access to some supplements and protein bars and things like that. So I thought, you know what, let me just start somewhere. We'll start doing some fundraising. So I, I made a private label for these bars for her with this company that I was working with and, and everybody loved them. They were diabetic friendly. They were bars that, um, I used to, you know, test on my patients and make them test their blood sugar and stuff. And, um, that was kind of the premise of it. It was really small and I would take these bars to different events and, and, um, sell them or raise money for whatever foundation we were working on, but not one in particular foundation. Um, as that kind of was just something we were doing on the side, my sister's heavily involved as well. My father was kind of taking the turn for the worse. And well, unfortunately I lost my father this past mother's day. And when that happened, um, I became very paralyzed in my progress in my, my job, you know, and, and or I say my job, I kind of have a bunch of jobs going on right now, but in my progression with what I wanted to do and where I really wanted to take the love like Loris and, and some of the health coaching, I was still finding myself very gray in what I, what I was trying to accomplish. And it got really a lot worse after my dad died. I, I got very stuck and I, I was in a horrible place of discomfort because I didn't know where to go. Nothing I w that my mantra wasn't working. My, my progress wasn't, I just, I was stuck. And I realized again, I was at that place of like, you know, this is a critical point what's happening. And I enlisted the help of a friend of mine who's an energy healer. And, you know, she does some health coaching and life coaching and business coaching. And she's very much on the same path as me when it comes to some of the online, you know, uh, business that I'm creating. And I started working with her and really, um, learning how to connect some of my stories that I had told myself. I, I had some, what I now call daddy blessings that I would have used, you know, in my past called daddy issues. And they really surfaced when my father passed. Um, they, the, all of the limiting beliefs and all of the things that I was doing with my career and trying to do things on my own and not being that corporate girl it went against everything my dad ever believed. My dad was the corporate guy and I equated success and, and safety with that world. And it really put a big barrier in front of me when he was gone because I almost like got sucked back into that thought process of, Oh my gosh, I've got to get a job. I got, I've got to go back and do something different. And um, so I really started to work through that and it's been pretty pretty wonderful for the love like Loris because I'm working with um, this girl and uh, I had a lot of conversations around the love like Loris and how I, I was lacking that clear vision for it and with my passion for diabetes and my dad's passing from diabetes I was like you know how can I kind of take the love and the, the healing part of what I want to honor and respect from my mom and her name and put it into something that's really effective for you know society in America and you know one in three of us are going to be diabetic by 2050 and my goal is to turn that statistic around and really 
turn people on to natural reversal and prevention techniques for diabetes instead of management and drug therapies. And so that's kind of where it's going now is it's going to be um, really a foundation and a forum for people to go and get resources associated with natural diabetes treatments and prevention. Mm, that is awesome. Where can, uh, where can people check that out, Leslie? Um, well, it's right now it's still currently being linked on the, uh, leslieharrington.net. And um, the bars, you know, right now the bars are still kind of local. We're, we're building on trying to get those uh, online access because everybody loves those. And then everything else is in development. It's, it's really something that's being newly created. Um, I think in the next six months, it'll, it'll kind of expand probably pretty rapidly. And um, mm. right now you get more information about the background of it and what the goals are going to be at leslieharrington.net. Awesome. I'll, I'll pop a link for that in the notes for the show. But also, um, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, w- what happens over the next six months and uh, definitely keep in contact with me and happy to happy to share things out once um, once everything kind of goes out, goes out live for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, for sure. Cool. Leslie, I have some questions that I like to ask everyone towards the end of our chat. Um, the first one is, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? Um, I think it was probably the therapy that I, I started after my dad's passing, which would have been, you know, in the past few months. And um, I think knowing that I needed to, you know, kind of break into some of those really hard parts of connecting the past with the present and going through that emotion. Um, it, it took me to places of just like that sickening place where you just have to sit in the ugly and cry it out. And, you know, really that has been one of the most uncomfortable, but most productive grieving therapies I've ever done. And all of my, you know, I've, I've been in a lot of therapies and a lot of therapists and, um, it has cleared so much energy for me and it's allowed me to progress. And all of a sudden things are becoming more clear and every day it's, it's opening channels of energy. That's just allowing me to be like nothing I've ever been before. So, um, that has to be the most recent. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And I, I think, I mean, it's so easy to run from discomfort, but the, the effect that we get from sitting in it and and just being with it is is phenomenal at times Mm -hmm. you have to kind of get through it to see what's on the other side and the only way out's through right and yeah when you when you get to that place you're kind of like okay what just happened you know it the the way she describes it too it's like you know children you know it's like a bell curve when when a kid wants to get upset they throw their fit and then they're done it's like, okay, we've moved on now. You know, you give them a lollipop and they're cool. You know, as adults, we just don't do that. So we have to give ourselves that little 90 second, you know, stinky period of time where you can just suck it up and cry it out and then be done with it. And then all of a sudden it's like, you're lighter. You're, you're physically lighter. Yeah. Yeah. Leslie, what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do? And why is that uncomfortable for you? Well, aside from, I think, working through, um, you know, building into the foundation and a lot of the the moving parts behind that, I'm doing some presentations for a corporate wellness program. So full circle, actually, for some pharmaceutical companies. 
it's super exciting because it's able, you know, allowing me to bring some of my diabetes messages, you know, the kind that aren't, you know, eat a bunch of grains and sugar and you'll still be okay. <laughs> like society around here talks about. Um, it's a, it's a way to really get my message to that type of a community who are just so set in some of the old fashioned ways of diet and nutrition and stress and sleep and things like that. So I've developed an entire corporate wellness program that hopefully this experience will break me into, you know, working with some other, other, uh, pharmaceutical companies. And it was a, an opportunity that came at me kind of quickly. And now I'm, you know, kind of scared out of my mind to, to go and present to these people, but I'm, I'm really excited about it as well. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a, a super fun, very scary challenge for you. <laughs> now the next one we've talked about a little bit already, um, throughout the, throughout our chat, but do you have any other strategies that you use for approaching uncomfortable situations? I do. I think I, I mentioned a little bit about, um, making sure that, I, I love fake it till you make it because I think it's super important. Um, I think you also just have to embrace the inner drama queen too. In in some of the the clients that I've worked with, the more entrepreneur resilient, you know, the, the type like that, the more they are able to connect with some of the like honoring their emotions, the more powerful they become. And when I've done, you know, I run tests on people and functional diagnostic tests, and when I look at these that sometimes the people that are the most dramatic and the most like, you know, emotional are the ones with like the best cortisol, you know, they're not holding it in, they're not manifesting it in their body. And, um, I, I know that if I don't express certain parts of myself, I will find it in another way, whether it's through an illness or it's through some sort of body pain. Um, it, it finds its way to find you. So I remind myself, every time that I'm in a place where I want to suppress or I want to like shut down or is, is to just kind of feel and allowing myself to feel and honor that feeling. That's very real. It, it helps me to move forward instead of getting stuck. Mm, that's very cool. I like that one. Leslie, I've got one more question for you, but I just want to say, um, say thank you very much for, for taking the time to have a bit of a chat with me today, but also thank you for, being so open and honest about everything that you that you've been through and also using it as a way to kind of spread love around the world i i really uh, i really like that and really appreciate that so thank you thank you i, I appreciate the opportunity to get to talk anytime i get to talk about my mom it, it brings joy so. <laughs> yeah, awesome I, i'm glad we i'm glad we could do that Last question for you, Leslie. Do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? A challenge? Um, you know what? I, I heard something recently actually about, um, and this, tell me if I'm, I'm kind of steering off track here. Uh, back in early this year, I had a surgery because I, I did manifest pain and I ended up tearing a hamstring and a hip. <laughs> and um, I was on a walker for eight weeks. And again, your message, your message, right? I, it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because I was able to slow down one. I, you know, I had to learn patience. I had to learn how to, you know, walk again. I had to learn to go through all these things. But what was really interesting about it is that when you hurt yourself, you find yourself limping, right? And, and sometimes even when you're healed and you're bought, you're fixed, you're still limping because you're protecting your leg that, that is no longer needs protecting. Right. And I think we do that as humans, we, we let prior 
pain cripple us and create like an ongoing emotional limp in our lives. And I think I would challenge people to to kind of pay attention to to what might be crippling them a little bit in their life and and something that they might be doing to protect an old pain that, that no longer exists that they can really let go of and decide to kind of try to walk in balance and, and, you know, be confident that it's okay to move on and, and move forward from whatever that might be holding them back. Leslie, I love that challenge. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Thank you for putting me there. I love it. <laughs> well, there you have it, team. I hope you liked that podcast. Um, as I said at the start, uh, I, I really enjoyed having this conversation with, with Leslie and just loved how open and honest she was. Uh, I really enjoyed the challenge that she laid down uh, for us as well. Uh, about what is um, what's kind of a, a creating an emotional limp for us. Um, so I'm going to be doing a little bit of thinking about that over the over the next couple of days as well. And what I'll do is um, I'll post a post a video to um, maybe to Facebook and Instagram. Um, so follow me along there. Uh, at uncomfortable is okay on Facebook and at uncomfortable is okay on Instagram as well. Um, and I'll make the video using all the new skills that I learned from going through the course on how to make simple videos.com. Um, if you want to learn how to make simple videos as well, head over to how to make simple videos.com. Grab the course. If you enter the promo code uncomfortable, you'll get a hundred bucks off the course and they kick us a little bit of commission change on that one as well. If you guys got something out of the show, make sure to share it out with your mates as well. Um, It's super valuable advice that that Leslie is giving out here. Um, Make sure to, to check her out as well and follow along. I just want to say a quick thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for, as always, creating the awesome theme music for the show. Uh, thank you to Eric Hodgson for putting me in touch with Leslie. Uh, much appreciated, man. And thanks to you guys for tuning in and getting uncomfortable with Leslie and I today. I'll see you all again next Tuesday for another epic episode. <laughs>